and welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. We, we've got a, quite an interesting topical discussion this week, haven't we, Tracy? Because this is from a few weeks ago that we got this inspiration. But hey, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about taking responsibility. As a leader. Um, <laughs> as a leader, yes. Um, and and what that looks like and why it's a good idea and why it's not a great idea to, um, what's the phrase that you used? Chuck your team under the bus. Yeah. And I, I don't know wh- where we got the idea from. Um, let me think. Is there anything going on um, in the UK at the moment that um, involves chucking your team under the bus, Heather? Anyway, <laughs> but it... it it seems quite topical. There, there's quite a few articles about it at the moment. So maybe a few other people have been inspired by the same thing. Um, and the article that I really resonated with was one in Forbes. Have you seen this one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Responsibility is the highest mark of great leaders. I love this one. It's by a gentleman called Jack Azenga. And he writes about leadership development and building strength. And it really just hit the mark. And I shared it with my boss. And um, I was like, yes, this, this is, this is what we're on about. So, um, yeah. So what I talk about here in the podcast with you, Heather, oh, it goes further than that. Whenever I'm inspired by what we're talking about, I go and share it with my colleagues. <laughs> yeah, spread the word. Yeah. And, and presumably see what they think. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a really relevant point about um, responsibility taking being a a sign of a good leader. And actually, it was quite pleasing that my boss agreed as well. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah, the article talks, it talks about attitude as as much as it does responsibility. And it's, it's thinking about, ultimately, you're responsible for the activities of a team and you have individual responsibility um and there you know there are some lines you know there are occasions when the two can be separated but actually um it's being responsible is not about you it's about it's about the outcomes it's about the team it's about the the greater good um and i think sometimes egos and i'm not talking about politics or politicians necessarily but we've all worked for people who um whose ego takes over when they're when when things go wrong they kind of walk away and 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 scapegoat somebody and you know pass the blame on somebody else and there's a quote in there we've talked about Peter Drucker quite a lot um over the years and he says management has no power management only has responsibility um and he says that um pointed out that leaders must display um, and require responsible behaviour from themselves and from the, their subordinates. And it's having the the courage to take people to task as well as take yourself to task. And I think that's, um, you know, sometimes avoiding having a difficult conversation and just going, you know, and, and passing some blame might be the easier option. Yeah, I, I was talking to some other colleagues today about uh, feedback, giving, receiving feedback, um, you know, the differences between both of those for positive and negative feedback. And a few of them said, yeah, yeah, positive feedback, no worries. 
give that easily. Yeah. But giving negative feedback and receiving negative feedback was um, deemed to be quite a difficult thing. So, yeah, um, responsibility um, is, is all part of that feedback process as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that um, if, if you set yourself up as the leader of a team or the manager of a team, you've got to... You've got to take an element of responsibility. Now, where where this falls down a little bit for me is in the world of football. Okay, go on. So, well-known football fan that you are, Heather. Yes, I know. And and maybe it's because I know very little about it. But you know the whole, a team does badly, so a manager who's only been there five minutes leaves. Yeah, they get sacked. Get sacked, yes. But they haven't had time to turn a ship around and, and get those people on board sometimes. Yeah, I've got to admit that that's a real bugbear of mine, uh, you know, and, and the owners often and the fans are calling for the manager to go as well. I say, actually, it takes a, a long time to build that sort of um, teamwork and, and to get the team behind you to trust you as a manager, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, th- so I think there... Um, in that situation, you don't nece- there you don't necessarily have the opportunity to fix the problem because they've kind of inherited it. And you you know you, you, going back to politics now, very often that's used as the excuse. You know, when we have a change of government, it's like, oh yeah, that's what the old guys did. That's what you know. And we, we got to turn this all around and blah blah blah. That lasts for decades. Period, that blame doesn't it? <laughs> I know. After a period of time, you have to go. No, hang on a minute. Um, you made this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it can look, whatever your political view, it can sometimes look like, as you say, somebody chucks somebody under the bus to make themselves look good. Yeah, I think in football as well, that uh, the manager is expected to fall on their sword for a bad result. And it doesn't always seem like the right uh, response, to be honest, does it? No, no. Did did you see another? I saw an article in... um, I don't know how to say this, Conant Leadership, ConantLeadership.com. Nope, I didn't see that one. Okay, well, they were talking about why taking responsibility is the best leadership choice. Um, And and they talk about some of the things that are mentioned in the Forbes um, article. But they say that you have to be tough-minded. You can't be flaky. um, um, And you have to choose to take responsibility. You can't have responsibility foisted upon you now if you if you apply for a senior position where you have responsibility and you don't choose to take it you've instantly got a problem it's just not going to stack up um but the first point that they mention is as, as i've already said it's not about you it's about everyone else um and if you're if you don't actively choose to take responsibility for those people in your team then you're already on the back foot. So what do you think about... Sorry, Heather, go on. No, and and people are depending upon you. If you put yourself in that position, people are going to look to you to be supportive. Yeah. Go on, what were you going to say? So I was was going to bring up the subject of authority and responsibility. So so one thing that I think is, is really difficult, if you have the responsibility for a team, for a project, for some outcomes, 
but you don't have appropriate authority to make the changes or to lead the team in the way that you want to. And I think that's a, a big issue for me is if you're going to give somebody responsibility, you have to give them authority as well, don't you? Yes. Uh, yes. And that's a really good point because so that's it working the other way around, isn't it? You have responsibility. So I may be your boss, but I give you and you take responsibility for a certain part of the business and your team. Now, my job there is to make sure that you get what you need in order to, to deliver for that team and give them what they need and help them achieve things. And when the, the crap hits the fan, people are going to look to you for a plan, as, me included, as to how we're going to fix this. It's 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 sometimes not even that there's been a problem. It's what do you do about it? Yeah. Like, like you know, when you're a kid, you you know you you your you, your part your parents are responsible for you. They are responsible for what happens to you. And if something goes wrong, you look to your parents to take. They don't go, oh, see what you've done. What's <laughs> that then? <laughs> well, right at the top of this article, um, the. Uh, Jack references some research that was done 40 years ago um, by a colleague of his at the time, Dale Miller. Um, and he was looking at um, what uh, makes somebody more suitable for promotion. And they, they did this research. Uh, I think it was called Responsible Behaviour, Stamp of the Effective Manager. It was published in 1976, this research. And what they did was they identified colleagues as highly effective and ready for promotion. And a second group initially considered ready for promotion, but then later deemed unready or, or unsuited. And to cut a long story short, it, it, it's, um, it was quite a... Uh, obviously a lot more detailed than I'm going into. But what this showed was there was a sharp distinction between the two groups. And the managers who had been passed over for a promotion, having done the study, um, what they found was that that group that weren't ready to be promoted had attached far less importance to responsible behaviour than the managers that were deemed ready and suitable or highly effective. Um, and suitable for promotion so it's that sense of that they see that responsible behavior is important is just as important as actually being responsible you know so it's that attitude as you, you mentioned before that you have an attitude of taking responsibility and that then you must behave in a responsible way as well to all levels so whether you're, you're dealing with subordinates or to Man, or upper management or um, horizontally to other departments. It's this attitude of responsibility that's important and this sense that you you have, um, you take control even if things aren't going well. You know, you're not just getting a reward, you know, a reward every time something goes well. Yeah. You take a responsibility if it's not going so well and you, you, you go through, the good periods and the bad periods as well. So I think it's if you're interested in um, what makes a good leader, then it's really worth digging out this article from Forbes by Jack Zenger. What else did you find or what other thoughts have you got on this, Heather? I went to mindtools.com and they um, 
they obviously they've got an article taking responsibility and they talk about two things one is signs of not being responsible and so they've got a few bullet points like lacking interest in your work and the well-being of the team so this is if you want to spot this in your you know in your colleagues or in your your team um blaming others for mistakes and failures we've all worked with people like that missing deadlines avoiding challenging tasks and projects and not taking risks that yeah. i think that's a biggie well, I suppose you can, you can avoid errors, can't you, if you don't yeah. do anything exciting or, yeah. or challenging, yeah. Yeah. Avoid taking initiative and being dependent on others for work advice and instructions, which is very easy then because one of the other items is making excuses regularly, such as it's not my fault, um, where, you know, if you have taken, um, instead of doing anything, you've asked other people what to do, it's very easy then to say, um, yeah, well, they said to do that. And so that's what we've done. It wasn't me. Um, so if you see that in any of your team members, um, beware. So you mentioned uh, before that you, we all know managers who've done this. Do, do any particularly stand out? Obviously, you don't need to name and shame, but have you, have you got any memories from your career of people who have um, failed spectacularly in the responsibility behaviour area. And I think, and it does centre around that whole, um, either covering up something, you know, I've, I've been managed by people and they say, look, let's not just talk, let's just kind of ignore that and it will go away. Whereas I'm like, why would we do that? We need to, surely we need to understand what's gone on and then try to fix it. You know, that whole head in the sand thing, uh, because that never works. Uh, and if you as a manager or as a leader say, it's all right, let's just, you know, let's just shut it in a room and pretend it doesn't happen. Um, it didn't happen. Well, you know, not from a dishonesty point of view, but just from a let's not draw attention to it and wait until somebody finds out. Well, actually, you lose your integrity your team no longer respect you um and you know what are they going to keep from you because it, you get to a point then when i might say well i'm not going to tell tracy about it because all she's going to do is stick it in a room and pretend it hasn't happened and like where does that stop then in terms of decision making and um and autonomy and those types of things so yeah i've seen that and, and it, it's very uncomfortable because i'm much more likely to go god what's happened here let's get it all out in the open and fix it yeah, I think something that sticks in my mind from um, experiences over my career is when somebody wants the trappings of being a manager. Uh, oh, you know, I, I've got I've got my business card. It, not that anybody has those these days. No. I've got my nice desk, my nice office. But when the shit hits the fan, they just pass the problem upwards. So it, it's not even about blaming the team down below, although it might be when you pass it up. But it's about not taking responsibility to then solve the problem. So, so part of the um, the mindset of responsible behaviour is, it, I'm, I'm going to own this and I'm going to deal with it as well. And I think if if you all you do is go, oh, we've got a problem, and you flag it and you pass it on, you're not really taking responsibility, are you? You're just no. passing the book to somebody else to solve. So it might be that you go, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was on my watch. I've taken responsibility for the mistake. But I think it goes further than just holding your hands up, doesn't it? It's about going, okay, yeah, 
it's it's something I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to make this next thing happen. I'm going to resolve it. I'm going to make it work. I think it's that final little bit where you actually own the solution as well as the problem. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way that Mind Tools have talked about signs of people who aren't taking responsibility, uh, another article, opexmanagers.com, talks about examples of taking responsibility um, and I'll, I'll just whiz through them so obviously take responsibility for your actions worry about the things you do because you are responsible for your own action uh, change your work environment um, suggest as your boss or someone else that you want to do projects in areas outside your current role there you know so that's that sort of variety so sometimes it's easier to take responsibility if you understand where you fit into the bigger picture admit your respects, uh, admit your mistakes, be respectful at all times, be proactive in offering solutions. That's that classic, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions yeah. or ideas of how things might be resolved. Provide unsolicited feedback, You know, be proactive in talking to people about where things are going well, but also where things are, are failing or run the risk of failing. Do your best work and never give up. If, if you do that, you are fully engaged with the process be honest with everybody ask questions to understand and never blame others and I think one big one avoid frustrating others with false promises that if you can't if you can't guarantee if you can't guarantee it and take ownership of it if you say you're going to do something you need to do something if you're going to if you say you're going to make something happen you need to make it happen yeah otherwise you know, it's all going to go to hell in a handcart. It's also about managing expectations. If you actually know that that change or that that thing that you've promised can't be done, you need to actually yeah. manage the expectations and let people know why and what your alternative solution is. Yeah. Yeah. I find that a lot um, in some of the work that I do where people are perhaps managing upwards. So, you know, they, they have responsibility for something. Um to take true responsibility sometimes means saying to your manager, OK, you're going to have to help me prioritise here because there are three things that need to happen by the end of this week. And at the moment, we're focusing on this. So if we focus on that, we won't be able to do the other. And, and it's actually that's you rather than saying, yeah, we'll get it all done. And at the end of the week, somebody's going mad at you because you haven't done all three things. You go, no, OK. I'm telling you this because I am taking responsibility for these three actions. Yeah, because it would be easy to just get to the end of the week and go, well, it was obvious we'd never be able to do that. We're all yeah. too too busy yeah. on this other project. Whereas, yeah. yeah, if you can anticipate that and flag it up in advance, that's the more responsible thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so our, our review isn't a book this week, is it? No. Uh, we thought we'd review a website and uh, we thought we'd review a website that we've referenced over a couple of weeks, actually, haven't we? Yes, it's, yeah, it's cropped up. It started around the um, COP26 time, I think, didn't it? We started sort of going down that route. And uh, and, and this is at B Corporate or B, B Lab UK, which goes under bcorporation.uk. Um, Tell us a bit about it, Trace. Yeah, so we, we we looked at Divine Chocolate and we've been looking at um, Cafe Direct, haven't we? And yeah. the reference B Corp. And I, it wasn't really on my radar, was it on yours? Not really, until we 
started to delve in those those ponds really and and when uh, particularly when we were researching cafe director so the first time i heard about it was with divine chocolate and i went oh i wonder what that is but i didn't go any further but when we were looking at cafe direct and there was a lot of talk by their ceo about how they come to be up a little late but now they were fully into it and they'd um they'd registered so B Corp website or bcorporation.uk is the website for B Lab UK, which is a charity. It was founded in 2015 and its aim is to advance the B Corporation movement in the UK. And it, it's all based on redefining the role of business within our economic system so that every business is a force for good. And we, we heard that referred to. Um, when we were talking, uh, when we were researching Cafe Direct, wasn't it? It's that this sense of um, the business as a force of good. It's an actual business that was built on purpose. It wasn't reverse engineered to have a purpose. It had a purpose, yeah. and set up a business around it. Yeah, and, you, and you've talked quite a lot since we started um, doing the pod, well, when we were doing the radio show, but since we've been doing the podcast about you know, not for profits, um, but actually businesses with purpose. And that's that's been quite um, quite a sort of thread of, of um, stuff that we get attracted to when we see uh, that people are motivated by a particular mission. But, but B Corp certification, which is something that you can apply for, um, talks about um, high standards of social and environmental performance, transparency and accountability so it's basically where you've got everything out on the table um you're trying to do as little harm as possible um whilst conducting your business uh and that goes for the people and for the environment so it it's 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 a holistic thing which um which a lot of businesses as you've already said have since it's been on the radar they've had the opportunity to set up with that intent and they're the ones that i think um genuinely are coming from a right place it's very difficult to as you say reverse engineer yeah and i think the the concept of a not-for-profit has been around for for many years hasn't it but this idea that that's not quite enough is is also there isn't it because not having a profit profit is not a purpose yeah, no. <laughs> what what we're moving towards, and and when you're talking about employee engagement, and particularly, um, it really struck a chord with me um, when we were talking about Cafe Direct. They know their purpose, and imagine how nice it is as an employee to go into a job which has got a very specific purpose and that they're doing well with. Whereas if you just go, I'm going to run this business, but um, the main point of it is to not make any money. It's not quite the same, is it? No. <laughs> I love the direction that, that these sorts of organisations and uh, B Corporation, B Lab is, is taking because it's it's actually rooting the idea that business has got a role and that it, it actually can have a purpose of doing good. And, and I think that is, you know, I really connect with that and probably why it keeps cropping up in our discussions. Yeah, anybody can run a business that doesn't make any money. That's quite easy. <laughs> you don't it's running a business for profit. <laughs> well, yeah, it's but it's it's a business that does good work with the money it does generate. 
um uh, they've actually got did you have a look at how you can certify as a b corp what the process is yeah well i, I looked first at who can apply yeah. uh, essentially you can say that can be anybody from big multinationals to sole traders and they have different levels of fee depending on the size of the business which is um, really quite handy so if you're a sole trader um, you have a, a one-off submission fee uh, when you actually submit and apply for the certification and then you pay an annual fee but that's based on the size of your business as well and I think the one-off submission fee is only about I think it's 250 quid I found yeah yeah, and it's the yeah. annual fees that are, are in different bands depending on the size of your business. Um, but yeah, you can go from a sole trader with um, no workers, uh, that's just you, um, and you could have charities and not-for-profits, they're not eligible, and um, partnerships are usually eligible. I think large businesses... Um, defined here slightly differently to some others in that you have a revenue of over 100 million operating two or more industries and operating five or more countries have five or more subsidiaries um, so it, it actually looks like if if that's something that you fancy it doesn't really matter whether you're a startup a multinational a public company there may be additional things that you have to do yeah you, you could all start to, to join in and sign up for B Corp. It, it looks like there is work to do, obviously, you know, in, in order to get the certification. I think, um, and the, the guy from Cafe Direct made it clear, you know, they didn't jump in just no. in just a, another license thing to join. They wanted to make sure that it had legs and was actually going to go somewhere because of the work that is involved with, with actually getting the certification. I just... That I can't say that word very well. Certification, certification. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and we've talked, when we've talked, are you still there? I am here. I had to put my video off because we're Zooming everybody, if you couldn't tell from the, the sound quality. But um, my, my um, computer came up with a, oh, you need to stop some processes because this is all going a bit slow. So I put my video off. Sorry, Heather. Yeah. Uh, that's okay that's okay you went a little bit um norman collier then when I, and i didn't know if i was speaking you were speaking or if we were speaking over each other but hey that's the fun of zoom um yeah. what i was going to say was so often you know when we look at certification of all sorts of things um we, we realize that it's actually quite a good process to go through just to start to think about where you where you stand in terms of so the, the the measurement the things that they measure as part of the process is governance so you know your code of ethics your whistle whistleblower policy your mission and engagement um financial information disclosure workers you know do they have opportunity to develop their career health well-being um engagement the environment what impact you have on the environment and and what um what management systems you have in place there community so you know diversity equity inclusion supply chain management we talked a lot about that um in a, in a previous podcast and the customer you know what how do they give feedback how do you deal with complaints um customer well-being so those are the key areas and they then look at um they look at those from an operational point of view and from an impact point of view uh, so even just going through that process and asking the questions of your organization 
even if you decide that you're not ready it's you know it's a really useful um it's a really useful project to get somebody to work on and to share that information with the organization you can at least do a gap analysis can't you yeah see where, where you could potentially move towards if you were so inclined there is a tool on the website and it's called the um bia the the B impact assessment um it's free and confidential and you can use that if you're if you are going to give somebody that project to look at one other thing that i came across just quickly was um as i was dealt pootling around the website i came across boardroom 2030 did you come across that oh yes but i'm not sure i delved into much detail with it do tell more well, it, it, it essentially, it, again, it, it looks at, you know, all of the criteria of businesses going forward in terms of the environment and all of the different demands of the um, of the world. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <laughs> and, and essentially what they're doing is that they're asking you to look at what your business might look like in 2030. And they you can download um um a, 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 a booklet which is quite in depth um but it looks at what um what a 2030 boardroom looks like what it means for your business um it, look at the model engage with your stakeholders explore and learn um talk to your board about it and decide you know even if you're a very small organization what little steps can you take to move you towards the dream board of 2030 and they've got an activation kit um, which gives you information resources and inspiration to help you plan your boardroom 2030 activation um and yeah you just put in your email address and they send you the kit it's quite a tome it's not a, it's not a little leaflet but i think it's really interesting and perhaps something that we might revisit <laughs> further down the line yeah, so I, th- I think it's well worth taking a look at. If you're interested in moving your business towards being a force for good and towards being of a more um, for-purpose business, or indeed if you're thinking of starting one, I think it's a good place to look for some yeah. uh, advice as to, you know, potentially you might not be ready as you're starting, but as Heather said, you could do the assessment and then at least you know the potential things you need to be looking for going forward and i think i think you're absolutely right because the beauty of that so if you set up a business 20 years ago the agenda is very different now to what it was 20 years ago and 10 years from now it will be very different so yes you could set up a business now thinking about what's relevant in the world now but this is about future proofing your organization and possibly pivoting we've talked a lot about pivoting since covid started pivoting your idea so that you are closer to the the future um um structure uh ethos model paradigm there we go yeah isn't it paradigm Yeah. yeah So in the UK, uh, the B Corp website is B, that's the letter B, bcorporation.uk. So profile this week. This was somebody, I can't remember, how did we find this lady? Um, we mentioned her last week when we were talking about um, 
I've completely forgotten. It's been a whole week, Heather. Um, it was on CEO Secrets. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. We were, we were profiling somebody off CEO Secrets. And there was this um, short video where she um, was talking about having been told to be uh, less young and, and less oh, yeah. early. Yeah. <laughs> and Really? Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, this is a lady called Amy Holding, and she is the CEO of Opus Talent Solutions. And we spotted her last week because she'd been given that ridiculous advice to act less young and less girly, when in fact she describes herself as looking like a 12 year old boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just. Where does all that come from? Uh, yeah, so I really don't know. you look and change your gender and change your behaviour. And that's not appropriate advice, is it really? And she didn't take it either. She just no. went, no, <laughs> that's not who I am. No, absolutely. What? So what do we know? What do you, what do we know about Amy? Well, I found out um, that she graduated from Cambridge. Um, and she did what did she do at Cambridge I've got it here she did um, English literature at Cambridge and then she went to work for Deloitte uh, so it was consultant in the strategy team at Deloitte and then got herself uh, what she describes as a rather glamorous sounding opportunity to work as the personal advisor of James Kahn former dragon from Dragon's Den and she was working on a number of projects, did quite a few things involved with recruitment, realised that she liked the recruitment um, industry and set up her own company, Recruitment Entrepreneur. Then she sold it as as great um, um, profiles we've done in the past. You have a success and you sell it on. And but instead of just pocketing the money, um, and, and in a podcast I was listening to with her, somebody asked her out, right um so you don't need the money clearly um why are you working still <laughs> yeah. yeah i think it is an interesting question for anybody who's who's made um a lot of um money in the past and, and it's clear that it isn't money that's motivating her it's something else she didn't quite put the finger on what it was i don't think in, in that podcast interview um but essentially she she likes to do a good job and she wants to you know um be seen to have done a good job and get the sense of accomplishment of having good done a good job so so she she joined opus and she she's helped the company to transition it was a an owner managed business before uh, the owner the founder stepped away from the business and she stepped up and actually quite recently has stepped up even further because there's been a, a buyout um, funded by um, outside investment, um, I think Graphite Capital. And so Amy's sort of uh, leading um, with um, James Kelly, I think I said, uh, the chairman of, right. of Opus Talent Solutions, and they've been uh, funded by a UK private equity firm in an off-market management buyout, and that's where we are now. That happened only this November, so sort of quite recent news. So that's a potted history. Are we done now? <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she, she talked that one of the reasons that she set up was that she saw that whilst working on those organisations that James Kahn 
um, was involved with it, she noticed that there was uh, quite a lot of room for improvement in the recruitment sector. And of course, the recruitment sector did have a bit of a reputation of being, well, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little bit um, tarred, slightly with the same brush as um, same brush as estate agents used to be. You know, it's that okay, stick them in a suit. Um, you know, they, they talk the talk, but what are they actually delivering? Uh, so I think that she um, she took that she took that into her her own organisation, and now of course is 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 bringing her knowledge. She says, "I think I'm the only person on earth who doesn't say they fell into recruitment." Yes. Which is a classic, isn't it? People do say that. She said, I'm the weirdo that walked into it with my eyes wide open and I loved it. Um, But I found an interview with her on GWR uh, that was in the Times. um, But it's a a model where they uh, GWR do an interview with somebody while they're on a train. So there's quite a lot of mentions of GWR and, and, you know, how how comfortable it is, etc., but um, but then there's actually an interview um, with Amy and she says, so at 31, she was the UK's youngest female CEO of a 100 million company when she took the helm at Opus Talent Solutions in 2017, um, which, you know, that's quite an accolade in itself. But one thing she she says, she said, if you go to an interview now and the person asks, what's your five year plan? She says, well, that's not a realistic question anymore. If the company had told you their plan five years ago, they would probably have been wrong. Things change that fast. Um, she, she sort of said you'd almost be better to ask them what their five-year plan is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good point, isn't it? And and sometimes when you are being interviewed, you do need to interview the company. If they yeah. want to know where you want to be in five years, well, actually, how do I know until I know where the company wants to be in five years? And then maybe I'll decide whether I want to go with you on that journey. Well, also, I think if somebody, if I went to an interview now and somebody asked me that, I think, God, are they still asking that question? <laughs> I haven't been to it for an interview for 50, 15 years. What? What? <laughs> it's not, uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a sensible question, as she says. Um <laughs> But but Opus is, they play with the big boys. They've got clients including Burberry, Booper, ASOS and Sony. And they work in tech quite a lot. Um, and, she, she, um, and she says that, uh, and going back to 2030, she says um, her background isn't in technology, but she believes almost everyone's soon will be. She says of the roles that will exist in 2030, 80% of them do not exist today. We've had this conversation retrospectively, but that 2030 boardroom that we were just talking about, well, okay, this is the reason why you need to get on that on that wagon and find out what changes you need to make. Yeah, as well as tech, they're um, quite big in, in recruiting in the energy industry. But uh, in this podcast that I listen to, I keep referring to it, I better give them a name check. It's um, by Hoxo, H-O-X-O Media. It's called The Rag Podcast. And this is uh, a relatively recent podcast. She talks here about the the fact that they, they were in the energy market, but they spotted a while ago the move towards renewables. 
So they change their focus to the renewable energy market. And that's where they started to become experts. So she feels it, it was a difficult decision at the time. But other people are now catching on to the fact, clearly, as we've, we've talked about it. Uh, yeah. Our little podcast has caught on to this. So she feels that, the, you know, they did a good thing to actually pivot as early as they did. So they've now got a head start on renewable energy recruitment. And it's a, there's massive recruitment going on in that area. I see a little bit of overspill in the industries I work in. And so, you know, it's fair play to them for actually spotting that um, mega trend and, and moving into that industry. Going one step further and thinking about um, from the from the business point of view in recruitment, she talks about um, some of the things that a business might think about. But actually, I think this is quite telling in terms of if we are interviewing staff, if we are trying to recruit staff, so she mentions five things in this interview. So from the employee's point of view, she says, consider technology, whatever your age or background, don't feel like it's a path that closed the path that's closed to you. It's not as scary as you think it is. Flip side of that is if you're employing people, don't be put off by the fact that they might not have that experience in technology. They might bring lots of other things to the party. You can train them in the tech. And see every interaction as an opportunity. Work and life blur together so much now. So use each moment to demonstrate your skills. Always show your best self and good things will happen. Again, from a business point of view, in your branding, in your marketing, put forward the good stuff. You know, not just the we achieve this and we achieve that. Talk about your people. Ask questions. Interviews should be shouldn't be one sided. Find out if the opportunity is going to work for you. You can be a better candidate by showing interest and wanting to know more. If you're the interviewer, make sure that you engage with the the interviewee and, and ask them, you know, what 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 interested them about the business, share information, share the plans for the business. She says it's not about age, gender or years that you put in It's about ability to work flexibly. So, again, remember, it's not how old somebody is or how, how much experience they've got. Can they flex with the business? And finally, she says, focus on the things that you control, you can control and don't worry about the things you can't. Fretting about the future is a, is a fast ticket to anxiety. Again, as an interviewer, talk about the future positively and you'll attract good talent. OK, and you, you know that we always like to... Um, delve into um, what our profile subject is like as a human being as well just as a person and I was helped out a little bit here by her profile on the Opus Talent Solutions website because right at the bottom of all the details that I've just shared with you already anyway um, she says that when she's not being a grown-up trying to run the world she's happy being a hippie trying to save the world and she's got qualifications in yoga, Ayurvedic medicine, massage and breathing techniques. And also it was discussed in this recent podcast, uh, the RAG podcast, uh, that she'd recently become a mum just before um, the COVID lockdown. So in February 2020, she became a mum and she talked about this whole shift in attitude 
um, for how she thought she was going to work and parent. And actually, she ended up having no choice. She thought she'd be going back into work and you know, um, the baby would be in childcare. As actually, she was there at home with the baby through the pandemic and that she was juggling her husband works as well and they were both working from home and she said what she's she has actually really enjoyed this forced change um you know and that she's sort of got used to that and is enjoying that is sort of making a point of making time in the day to to spend time with her daughter uh, it's quite really quite interesting uh, to listen to her talk about expectations against reality and she said she actually changed their um, policies at work after she, um, after she got you know was back in the workplace when she she realized um, and she she said that she actually apologized to somebody who she saw again recently um, who used to work with and um, this woman had got young children and she apologized to her and said I, I never understood quite how difficult that must have been for you and that she you know she never took any extra time she she never wanted to leave early and she said i i now understand how much pressure you you would have been under uh, with trying to balance um work life and family life so i think that's you know i, I think that shows um great credit to her as a leader is uh, she admitted, yeah, okay, I didn't realise that this was an issue. Now I recognise it is, and I'm going to do something and change the policy. So fair dues. That's a wonderful, that is a wonderful story, isn't it? That is lovely, yeah. Uh, also a little bit of insight into um, her personality. So um, this is an article from January 2018 in The Standard, and uh, it's asking her about what she enjoys about um, being CEO of Opus. Uh, the article is called Secrets of My Success. And um, she says she doesn't distinguish between life and work because she really enjoys it. And she's an all or nothing person. Now, this was written in 2018. So I'm wondering that <laughs> how that balance has tipped since she's had this experience with, with having a child and then having to juggle work and life. But she seems like a very authentic sort of person. So I think, she, you know, she's going to deal with it she says she loves meeting people and she likes to take opportunities and you know sometimes a social meeting turns into one in which you discuss work and sometimes a business meeting ends up drinking tequila I'm not sure she does that with a young baby but there we go <laughs> um, and I really I resonated with this one what do you hate and she says I hate maintaining I love thinking about new things and executing them, but when they're up and running, I just want them to work. I really get that. Yeah. She, she also, uh, going back to the, the GWR interview, she says, while some fear change, I have the opposite attitude. I fear a lack of change. That's a classic entrepreneurial trait, isn't it? You know, let's get it up and running. Right, okay, on to the next thing. Um, and that's where you need a team who is taking responsibility um, and and you take responsibility for handing stuff over to them. Yeah. Um, also, there's a reference um, in this article in the standard to that uh, where she was told to act less girly. And um, she said uh, the question was, how do you command respect as a CEO age 31? And she just says, well, <laughs> you, you earn respect. 
That's right. You don't command respect, do you? You you earn. So she said, and this way she refers to the fact that she was told she needed to act less girly, take the emotion out of business. Um, and she said, actually, she realised that her skill was keeping emotions in business. Nice. And she, there's a misconception that women have to act more male at work. But actually, emotions, like empathy, are really important in the workplace. So act more girly. <laughs> she didn't say that. <laughs> act as girly as the hell you like. Just, you know, be whoever you want to be. Just yeah. yeah. If that earns the respect of your people, then yeah, do what works for you. Yeah. You don't respect the way somebody looks, do you? No, I, I, I do think people are judged for it, though, aren't they? And yeah. I, I, I know that. Um, you know, w women are, are judged all the time on what they wear. So I can understand why, you know, she looked young, so she's judged on being young. Mm -hmm. We now look slightly older, Heather, so no doubt we're judged for looking a bit older. So, uh, yeah, and we, we do tend to make judgments quite hastily, don't we? So We do, but, but, but I think I've never heard anybody say, I respect the way that you look. No. no, I mean, I, I don't mean to me, I mean to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you might respect the way somebody behaves. Yes. <laughs> but it's a misnomer, isn't it? Stop looking say, so girly, you won't be taken seriously. Did anybody say to you, I respect the fact that you're wearing an inflatable Santa suit today? Mm. <laughs> no. No, they didn't. No. Um, they have done. They could have done. I mean, they, they thought it was great, but, um, well, I say they thought it was great. Some people thought it was a bit weird. But, um, yeah, I respect myself for wrestling myself in and out of it um, on – is that – have I worn it three times today or twice? Twice today. Can I just ask the contents for the uh, – the context, sorry, for the inflatable Santa suit? Was it just to go to the supermarket or were you actually um, doing something professional? <laughs> uh, I was business breakfast networking this morning, oh, chairing the meeting. You need an inflatable Santa suit for networking, yeah? Yeah. And then um, this afternoon I was at a Christmas little get-together um, as the chair of trustees at a charity that I'm involved with. Oh, wow. Yeah, completely normal. Yeah. And th that one was a bit more challenging because I parked in uh, Sainsbury's supermarket and had to walk to the venue. Oh, you didn't get caught up in the wind and get blown away then? <laughs> no, I kept myself deflated until it was the appropriate moment. And then on went the fan and up went the Excuse the me. Suit. So th that's a horrifying thought, isn't it, of a, a deflated Santa walking <laughs> across the car park? I know. It would... It would only be improved if if the deflated Santa was very drunk and was <laughs> staggering. It would be the picture of absolute sadness Misery. and yeah. yeah, yes, and reject. Yeah, yeah. I must tell you a story. Well, you can edit this out. But years ago, uh, on a Christmas do, uh, my husband and I, I decided that we would dress as Mickey and Minnie Mouse, um, Santa, Minnie, Santa. Mickey and um, we had our ears on our Santa hats and we were walking to the restaurant where we were meeting my colleagues and there was a very drunk man it was in the run-up to Christmas and there was a very drunk man and he staggered into the pavement in front of me and then staggered back and said sorry Minnie <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
not editing that out. That stayed in. He didn't miss a beat. He could walk, but he went, sorry, Minnie. 